Hey everyone, welcome to Startup Equity Matters, a podcast about how to create value from startup equity. Uh, here we unpack equity stories from capital raising, team equity and ownership culture, exits and stuff like that. Uh, I'm excited about today's guest. Um, he's a super smart guy. He doesn't normally do podcasts, so I'm very grateful um, that he's joined us today. Um, from what I can see so far, look, he really thinks outside the box. Um, he's outspoken about his strategies for building an awesome startup and an awesome company. And he has some great views on how to do uh, your team equity, specifically um, around using RSUs, restricted stock units, instead of options. Uh, and recently, when Cake released a major upgrade to our RSU uh, feature, uh, I instantly thought of Bill. Um, I'm not sure if you're using Cake or not, Bill. No. Remember, we only got introduced after we were already using Pulley, which we're actually quite quite happy with. Um, we'd definitely be a Cake user, but uh, yeah. I think... We just missed each other, you know. We just just missed each other there. I totally agree. I remember you, you were delete, in the you can delete the mention of the uh, of the competitor too. You can just <laughs> it out. It's all good. We're here to talk about equity, man. So that that's all good. And look, timing's important. And you got you're running your uh, company like your corporate out of uh, Delaware, right? US company. Yeah, we're a C corp out of Delaware. We incorporated through Stripe Atlas. Uh, super smooth and easy. So I'd recommend that to to anyone. We we um yeah we bank with Mercury. And we're incorporated through Stripe Atlas in Delaware. Yeah. So at the time, I think we weren't in, in the US much. We're obviously, you know, at Cake um, going great in the US now. But, um, you know, once your equity sorted, um, you know, I appreciate it. You don't really want to muck around with it too much. Um, the Yeah. So t- the topic today is can restricted stock units make startup team equity better? And <laughs> Bill's already snuck into the chat. So welcome, uh, Bill Kerr co-founder and CEO of Athena. Yeah, thanks, Jace. Thanks for having me. Um, excited to chat. Uh, as you kind of mentioned earlier, we've been, I feel like we've been allies for a while, you know, digital allies, um, LinkedIn buddies. We, we do Startmate stuff together and so forth. Uh, but yeah, we haven't really spent a whole lot of time hanging out. So I'm, I'm pumped to be here and hopefully can um, share some interesting stuff, if, if nothing else, as to how we've set up, um, you know, all of our equity for our global team. Great, mate. Yeah, I totally agree. I think both Athena and Cake are massive on startup culture, team culture, and also brand. And I've been enjoying seeing those aspects of of Athena grow. Uh, It's been inspiring for me as well. I remember when you first came out with that psychedelic, uh, you know, vibe. I was like, wow, that's that's cool. Um, So, yeah. And look, Athena, I'd love to chat a little bit about that just to kick us off. So it's a global talent platform helping to hire, manage and retain world-class global global talent. So, yeah, tell us us a bit more about um, the vision and mission for Athena, mate. Yeah. So Athena started, uh, this is my second startup. So my first startup was called Adventure Fit and we took people all around the world on adventure holidays for the for the wellness community so we would we would go to let's say vietnam for, uh, for example and we would explore caves and rock climb and dive and then we would train do some level of mindfulness so yoga or meditation and um and we would you know see the cultural sites drink a few beers eat, eat burgers have as much fun as humanly possible it was a great <laughs> it, it was it was my lifestyle you know wrapped into a into a seven-day experience and, and you know sold on to people that wanted to, to join it so it was super awesome incredible product incredible brand but we never really made any money so i had to be scrappy this is like 2013 14 15 16 we probably about four years there through through that period 
And um, I had to be smart and scrappy about how we built out the team. So we never really scaled the team. We had a small team in um, Latin America and a small team in Southeast Asia. Basically, because like I said, when I when I say we were making no money, we were making we were losing money and we didn't raise any money. So I was like, you know, putting all my money into it. We were, we were selling trips to fund, you know, having sale, putting trips on sale to, to, to fund current trips. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. But and because we had no money, um, we kind of built a global team and. And then I became, you know, this global teams guy for a couple of small, you know, small business communities. Um, and then uh, originally had a co-founder, Drew. He actually left after the first year. But Drew and I, uh, the plan was that that I was going to be this guy that could help his small business community. He was like a business consultant. His small business community build global teams, set up systems for remote work, asynchronous communication, so forth. And then how to find and 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 manage, you know. Global global talent. So, yep. what happened was, what happened was, I did some research, and the original idea was that we just find a referral partner. I came back to Drew and said, "Hey, look, I don't really think anybody's doing this particularly well. I definitely think this is way the way the world is heading, and I think there's probably a good business model in here for us, and it's it's pretty good, you know, positive impact on the world. So, I think we should we should do it together. And then, um, yeah, that's what we we set out to do. So, it's been it's been pretty good. I mean, we're about four and a half years in. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm that I'm super proud of, uh, but none more than what you mentioned a little bit earlier is the brand and also the culture that we have at Athena. You know, like I, I we're we're profitable and growing fast and building some great tech and and so forth. We've got many reasons to be really proud of what we've achieved so far and what we've built and what we will build. Um, well, you can't be proud of what you will build, but you know, you're you're probably with me here. So yeah, but the thing is. We built a, a beautiful brand and a brand that kind of stands for something and a and a and a meaningful culture. Um, our engagement scores at Athena are, are ninety, which you know eighty percent is considered excellent when you're talking about employee engagement. So our our average on our quarterly engagement scores for three years, we have got like 70, 70 people now. Our engagement scores on average are ninety. So if if eighty is excellent and a hundred is perfect, we're we're somewhere in between excellence and perfection. You know, so mm. it's. Um, it's going well. It's interesting, um, but yeah, the it, the the thing that I am most proud of is is brand and culture. And I'll tell you why. I think it's a I think it's an unlock. You know, I think if you have a really strong brand, you end up having all star talent kicking your door down to come and work with you. And if you have all star talent kicking your door down to come work with you, and you have an incredible culture. That all star talent's going to come in and do their best work. And you know, you might have a clunky product or a broken go-to-market or this or that, if you've got all-star talent motivated to do their best work, things are probably going to fall into place somewhat. So, um, yeah, no, it's good. The thing is great. The thing is great. <laughs> no, mate, I, I couldn't agree more. We we invest so much um, in that at Cake and we're having very similar, you know, successes. Um, so, Look, really stoked to see what you're doing and um, love the way you're building Athena. It's, it's, it's wicked, mate. Well done. Well done. Um, mate, so look, this is obviously an equity-related pod and love to dig into some of the equity aspects of your journey. So let's kick off with capital raising. You said with the first company, you know, it's always good to get a couple of those early companies under your belt, learn a few things and what you want to do, what you don't want to do, that kind of thing. And then so... I guess this time around with Athena, I know you raised a bit of capital. I don't know the whole story. Love to hear a bit about the capital raising journey. I think you've done at least one yeah. super interesting raise that I'm keen to understand yeah. more about. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was funny. So um, what happened was we decided, so we'd been bootstrapped up until, you know, the end of the third year, I guess. Um, or maybe we're two and a half years in and and we decided that we wanted to build. So we've, we've always been a talent platform. So effectively, we match make incredible talent with, you know, companies looking for talent. Um, so basically, think of us as like a talent talent platform, talent network, talent marketplace kind of thing. So, so what we wanted to do, though, was we uh, built EOR into our platform. So we wanted to be the first 360 degree global team building function. So basically tackling the two big problems of, of global hiring, compliance and finding talent. That's what, in my opinion, are like the two big problems to be solved. So EOR was really hot at the time. Um, deal or raising multiple rounds, uh, like very, you know, every three months, Oyster, remote. Yeah. It was pretty, pretty hot. Deal pretty, much, deal pretty much broke every record, didn't they? Like, like <laughs> a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. was like vertical for, to like yeah. the awesome. hell it got to, but. They, they, they all kind of were too. Like Deal are definitely the leader now. I think Deal will be the next sales force, but Oyster were crushing it remote, like, you know, um, globalization partners for Paya. Like they were just all going bananas. So, um, so we, anyway, partner, we, we partner with all them as well, you know, because like, we've got yeah. super complimentary missions, with, you know, with yeah, Cake and Deal and remote. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, we're really close with Oyster and Deal. Um, I know the, the, the founder of Oyster, or one of the founders, um, super well. And, and deal a little bit. I don't know the fans, but but deal and oyster are, are great. So so anyway, at the time we built EOR, and then we planned to go out and raise with that as the that is the future. So global talent platform, and also compliance side handled as well. So we built everything, launched it right when we opened our our round. So we opened the round in 2022. It was in March or April. I actually don't know like the date or even the month, one of those two months, I think. But what I do know is the day the round was open. So when I say the round is open, I mean the basically the data room is finished. Like people could actually, we'd had some exploratory calls for sure, like a bunch of them. But when we were actually open for business, the data room is finished and we were we were, you know, going for it. So so basically what I do know is we opened the round uh the day that Netflix made their first mass round of layoffs. And that was the one that everyone was like, huh, layoffs, massive round of layoffs. <laughs> and it was like day zero. When people look back in 10 years to the 20, uh, you know, the 2022 market correction, that'll be day zero. So, so we opened our round. Um, we started, so we had inbound, we had inbound, uh, from GGV, TCB, Sequoia, a bunch of the biggest funds in the world. And I remember having a meeting with a guy named Graham from. Um, so we were we, we were talking to we were talking to investors in Australia and also in the in the US. Australia were pretty reasonable with their multiples and what we should be you know shopping the round out at. And the US was just bonkers, as everybody knows. So um, I remember having a conversation with uh, a guy from TCV. TCV are pretty big, like five billion dollar fund or something like that. And he said to me, um, he said, "Oh yeah, no, you want to raise it." Uh, probably around 75 to 100x. He goes, if you raise it anything less than 75, people won't take you seriously. And 60s, 60s, people will be like, uh, 60s a joke. You'd be ripping yourself off. I said, okay, this is right before we're going to open the round. So we opened the round trying to raise five mil at 45 mil. We had three calls with, we had, we had calls, multiple calls with Sequoia, General uh, Atlantic, which are too big for us, but they, we had three calls with them. Um, K1, we had three calls. K1 told us, K1 guy named Blaze. 
his name was. Um, K1 said, oh, you're raising 10 mil. I said, yeah. He goes, this is at the end of the call. I said, yeah. He goes, hi. He goes, um, mate, we just raised an $11 billion fund. He said, if we back you, we'll give you more than 10 mil. <laughs> said, so things were going super. You know what I mean? It was like the the, the market was starting to deteriorate, uh, deteriorate slowly and then it started to deteriorate rapidly. So what happened with the round was, we got to the point where in around May, maybe like six weeks into the round, because I went to the US and we tried to compress everything, time pressure, get lots of meetings happening, so on and so forth. And we got within, we got to the very final stage with a mid-sized fund out of Austin. Um, that was five, we'd reverted our raise back down a little bit. Well, not a little bit, we kind of halved it. We said uh, five mil at 25. That was awesome. That would have been amazing. And we got to the final stages with um, this fund out of Austin and then they had to go to a, um, to their portfolio and like check with two potential um, conflicts in their portfolio. And one of them, which it wasn't a conflict at all, one of them nixed the deal, said, no, nah, we're not happy with that. You can't get So, okay, no worries. So we go back on raising and this is when it starts to get bad, you know. June, July is like, okay, shit's really hitting the fan here. Worst worst downturn since 2000, you know, whatever, blah, blah, I was, blah. I was raising at the same time. Yeah, yeah you were. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got a lot more right here in my beard now, and I'm oh sure you to- I remember similarly, I was up in Singapore and we were doing some uh, R&D up there and like some go-to-market research, and I had a call with our VC. Uh, I can't remember exactly when it was. It might have been like March, March that year, and it was like, uh, pretty sure everybody's just out there pushing <laughs> book. Uh, you might have to rethink this, this whole bad boy. Yeah, that was a shock. So you ended up getting you ended up raising um, through uh, launch and Jason Calcanis's fund. It was they they lead it or something. And then you ended up having a result in the end, though, didn't you? That was before that. So yeah, the round before that, we got Jay Cal in uh, Jay Cal and Rampersand, and then just oh. after the pandemic hit, um, Rampersand led one. We still got a little round done, like good. It was actually a good oh. size round, but it was like probably half or a third of what we were yeah. hoping for. So it was still yeah, good. Yeah. We were still happy yeah. and not, not many people getting funded. So we're pretty stoked. But uh, yeah, it was like a big shock to where we thought we were going. It's pretty scary too, I feel like. Like, especially for us, we made the, um, we made the, I made, I made the decision um, to, because we hadn't raised money and we were just, we were growing like, historically, we grew like 25% month on month for like two and a half years. And uh, money was cheap and easy. And what, so we ended up taking on a little bit of debt to just supercharge growth, just to build this product and then go and raise and, and so forth. So um, when the markets tightened, so did the uh, options we had with our debt provider. And it was actually pretty sketchy. It was real scary for us for a little while there. So what? anyway, to wrap the round and, and what happened, we, we raised and raised and raised. Um, we got to the point in August where we had... A final investor committee pitch with a $2 billion fund out of, out of Europe. They were really keen. I, I chatted with them like three months ago, nine or 12 months after this this all, all went down. And they said that they were 100% going to invest. And they were really, because what happened was we decided in August to kill EOR, the new product that we launched. We had EOR contractor management and a few other products and features. We made the decision to kill EOR, laser focus back to our core and grow our way out of this predicament. So at the same that. time, I love at that. the same we've, time. We've done that too, multiple times. Let's yeah. go back to the yeah, call. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, well, look, if you're not making bets that don't pay off, you're not really a startup and you're not really trying hard enough. You're not ambitious enough. So it felt like a loss at the time, but fuck, it was not a loss. It was so, everyone was so on board. Like, okay, we do one thing and we do it well. And we just started taking off like a rocket ship, but we still had this debt. So what we what we did was we, we raised, um, we opened the round and it was all VC led. Like I said, we met with every... If you lay out the 15 biggest funds in the world, we met with Ford and we didn't meet with Andreessen. That's the only fund we didn't meet with. We met with them multiple times. So um, close with a couple, you know, here and there and what have you. But then we we made the decision to kill the new product. So we couldn't pitch any VCs on a future that didn't exist anymore because half of the future we were pitching had just been deleted. So what we did at, the, at that point in time was we opened a bridge round. So we still had, oh, actually, we opened it like a month before this happened, before we did close everything off. But so we went total scramble. We had one fund wrote us a little check. This so it turned from a a, a price round to a safe note. We got a little fund in on the on the safe. A bunch of angel money. We opened a community round, which a bunch of our you know talents and clients and you know allies and followers threw money into, and we raised about five hundred k. So that was a bridge to get us to profitability. A bridge to get us to um, just through this period to like uh, you know. Um, take care of the debt that we, we needed to take care of and so forth. And then, yeah, we, we kind of, yeah. But, man, we, we got to, and I know we want to talk about equity in a sec, but we got, we actually got to a point on a Friday night in, uh, yeah, probably like August of last year. And I've only kind of told the team or some of the team about this now. Um, we got to the point on a Friday night where I had two scenarios. I had a scenario of uh, like 30% layoffs, 30% of the team. And a scenario of more, like more, more, like brutal, um, brutal. And I said to our leader, I think in the last two years, everybody, every founders had some of those plans around. Yeah, been tough. And oh man, it was crippling stress and and anxiety, and it was really, really have, bad. I had to go see a bloody psychologist one time when this happened, and I had like oh, you know, when the pandemic hit, I nearly had a fucking breakdown and like I literally had I've to seen a psychologist before before this all happened <laughs> I think I was crazy before I started the startup but I officially saw a psychologist yeah, after yeah, starting yeah. it because I was like oh, what am I, how am I going to get through this I got all these people and like yeah it's it's crazy, man. that pressure that you have when you employ people and you put food on their table and the market is shit so people aren't going to go and be able oh, to find a job well, they can't get another job that's the other thing you're like no way Nah, so it was bad. We got, we got, yeah, I met with our leaders on a Friday night, told them all on Monday morning, we have to decide, you know, on the team. So over the weekend, think about it. I crunched the numbers 50 different which ways over the weekend. And then on Sunday evening, I decided, okay, I think we've got a month left of having a crack here. And that's when we decided on the Monday morning, I rolled into work and I said, hey, everyone, we're killing all the new products. It's all dead. Stop it all immediately. We're zeroing in on our, on our, uh, on our core and we're going to back our team in and we're going to grow our way out of it. And it was actually, it was one of two things. It was a weak move, a decision that should have been made that I wasn't strong enough to make or a masterstroke. It looks like a masterstroke. It could have easily, it, so it worked out, you know, but it was like, it could have been, man, it was just far out. Crazy. <laughs> Love it. Walking the tightrope. Um, yeah. Let's call yeah. it a masterstroke because it worked. But um, no, it's it's amazing insights there. So that's some absolute gold on capital raising, but also yeah, just runway and managing priorities and pivoting and and yeah. working your way through 
revenue and costs and getting the profitability and all that stuff man it's like that's that's the big that's the big part of the founder journey man so so grateful to hear the story and also that you managed to <laughs> succeed through that so that's sick so sick and all all companies that succeed go through this stuff i think in the first oh. few years uh obviously it's a bit easier in those years where the the capital tap is turned on but uh <laughs> the best companies are probably built in these years where it's off because you've got to build a real company that bloody works and yeah, then right. then you can hopefully maintain that discipline and scale scale a thing up so 100%. Nice one. All right. Well, let's get on to the uh look that that's I mean, great, great start. Love that goal already. Let's get into the the meaty bit. We're here to talk about restricted stock units, RSUs. Um, my experience with RSUs um is very limited, I must say. Uh, you know, we started in Australia. My, a lot of my, you know, early startup career was in Australia and almost I don't think anyone does RSUs in the startup space in Australia. I don't I think over time it it could become more popular. Uh, we've been on a real education journey um, in that space. I know larger companies, so mid caps and listed companies, RSUs are, are quite common in Australia. And you know, so the bigger we've gotten and the bigger our customers have gotten, the more of a necessity we've we've had, you know, to understand it and have product features for it. Um, getting over into the US and getting traction in the US has again given us more motivation to understand and solve problems for RSUs for our customers. Um, and I guess it was around that moment, wasn't it, where I, you know, I, I launched, I'd seen you advocating for it. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's interesting. You know, yeah. I'd love to know more about that. And then we launched the product and I thought, bam, here's the moment where I can learn, um, you know, your insights and um, help educate people on what an RSU is and and how or why it could be better for people to use instead of uh, options, which options is the more traditional way of doing startup equity. So maybe we start, mate, with like what what sort of pushed you towards RSUs in the first place? Well, for starters... When thinking about an equity plan, my belief is that you have to sit down and, and really craft your own philosophy around it. What level of people get what, how many people uh, in the organization get equity. And for lots of companies, it's different. So I know lots of um, friends that work at organizations where they were head of this, manager of that. And then when they qualified or uh, were promoted to director level, they you know can access equity. You know, that's a that's an example, it's kind of common, what have you. That isn't what we wanted to do. So we wanted to be as open-handed as humanly possible from day one. The thing is, my motivation with Athena is to make, I mean, it, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to um, pump my own ties here, but what fires me up the most is changing the financial future of our team. Because if we have any sort of result, I'm going to be able to buy 10 nice houses. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm fine. And I'm a solo founder now as well. So the plan for us, when we sat down and we said, okay, what is the strategy? How are we going to go about this? I said, what's a regular equity plan look like? Equity plan normally, you know, maybe 10 to 15%. I said, okay, cool. I'm a solo founder. So I own all the equity. I don't have two or three founders. So I'm already equity rich, so to speak. I said, let's be really open-ended. Let's let's carve off 20 from the start. So we cut off, we carved off 20% for, for the stock. So that was point number one. Okay, cool. Who do we want to be able to access this equity? <clears throat> I said, well, we said, kind of, you know, we, we came up with it together, some of the early team. We said that um, early stage employees will get larger chunks and it'll it'll cascade down. So 
So that was kind of how we were going to go about it. And then the idea from the start was that interns to executives, everybody gets equity. If every if somebody comes in and they work hard at Athena and they do, you know, enough time with us for their stock to be able to vest, they deserve to be rewarded. So interns to executive, everybody gets gets equity. So um, so that was really important to, to me and to us. And then when it came to RSUs, I didn't really know the difference between all the different forms of stock. I was, you know, obsessed with tech and startups and so on and so forth, but I didn't know shit about it. It's just something that I hadn't experienced myself personally. And it's also quite dense, you know, it's it's quite, it can be quite challenging to get your head around. So we actually worked with DLA Piper. Do you know DLA Piper? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so we got, um, I was talking to Phoebe from Blackbird, um, Phoebe Harrop, she's a friend of mine. Um, I was talking to Phoebe and I said, oh, like, how, how do we go about this? How do we get it all set up? Who would you recommend? And they pointed me uh, straight to DLA Piper. Not who did you work with? Was that the Australian team or the US team? I guess it would have been the uh, US, US team. team. Yeah. The US team because we're a US, US domicile. So, yeah. so we worked with DLA Piper. They have the reputation, as far as I'm aware, of like the best in class for global equity and just equity in general or, or as good as any. So, so we worked with DLA Piper and I had to kind of understand the options that we had. So options, options, uh, or RSUs or, or phantom equity or, you know, all these other methods that you can kind of knock up. Yep. And so many for types. us. There's so many yeah. types. Pretty much all of them you can do on cake now because we're just like, if we do options, we just can't help everyone. So now we're like, let's just give everybody all the, everything they need and then they can solve it in their own way. And as you said, they've got their own strategy, they've got their own culture, they've got their own way. And we just have to give people all the tools you know, yeah. to sort of make their own employee equity, I think it's cool. Yeah, that's great. So so for us, all of our team is in countries like Argentina, Brazil, uh, India, Philippines. I mean, we've got we got a um, couple in Australia now. We've got, you know, team that are in Europe and so forth. But if you have – what I don't like about options, for example, is they reward people that have already got money in a way and they are very prohibitive in a lot of cases for people that are making their way in the world. So if you're 21 years old and you've just you know, graduated with a marketing degree and you join Safety Culture or whoever, somebody that's got a nice equity plan, you work your ass off there and you do three years, you've got a bunch of equity that's vested, but you've got no money in the bank, then too bad, you know, you know, stiff, stiff. Um, so I don't, I don't like that. So we want it to be really, just lost your audio there. Yeah, went, my, my Zoom muted me. I must be talking too much. Um, so let's dig into that a little bit because, you know, this stuff's quite technical and on this podcast, we're not going to be going into every technicality because we'll bore everybody senseless, but I think it's probably worthwhile just, just doing a little bit of the technical stuff. I'm happy to sort of lead that bit. Um, so let's, I've got a couple of notes here. So in the show notes, we're going to, I'm going to put some blog, um, links. So if you're listening to this on like, you know, Spotify or, um, or YouTube or whatever, um, down in the links, you'll see some explanations of options versus RSUs. And I think we've got three or four different blogs on the Cake website. If you go on there to the resource section and type in RSU, so you can, you can sort of understand the technical elements. But I guess at a high level, both options and RSUs are used to incentivize employees. Um, so on the ownership side, according to our blog, so stock options provide your team doesn't have to be employees, can be employees and contractors in almost all countries that I've seen. So an option gives the right to purchase shares in the future for an exercise price. Um, so what 
Bill's just talking about there is it's that exercise price that creates the problem because if you just say you get granted options and you earn them over a three-year period and you kind of think you own them, but you actually have to make an exercise payment to get your shares. And there can sometimes also be a time limit on you doing that. So you could earn all this, just say you earn 20 grand, 50 grand's worth of options or your startup does really well and you end up with like, you know, quite a bit of value there. Um, you could have, or you do have a payment to make. Sometimes it's extremely low, like very close to zero and that's totally fine and easy, but sometimes it's not. And it can be, you know, in the fives, tens of thousands of dollars, um, these exercise payments. So it, it is very prohibitive. Um, so that's kind of what, what Bill was talking about there. Whereas with an RSU, it's, um, it's a promise to grant employees a specific number of shares after vesting. So there's no exercise payment. Once vesting occurs, the shares are, all, are owned outright um, by the team member. The gift. It's a, it's, I, I explain it. When I talk to our team about it, I say very simply, the most the two common ways to look at equity is options. You have the option to buy the stock and RSUs where you're given the stock after the stock vest. That's kind of how I explain it to, because it's it's pretty, can be pretty dense. So it's like you, you, you're, you're given the stock. Love it. And so I think we've kind of covered exercise investing there. So vesting is kind of earning it and then exercising it is uh, only for options and that's actually getting your shares. Whereas with RSUs, as you say, it's kind of gifting the shares. Okay, awesome. And then the last point, just on the technical side, just so people have got like the important parts of the technical element is is the tax side of things. Um, how do you, how does the tax work from your perspective on, on RSUs? So this is where it's super interesting. So I talk a lot online where you would have seen me, um, seen me commenting and talking about RSUs. I talk back and forth with um, some of the other competitors. Uh, there's a guy, Pete Walker, uh, I think his name yep. is. He's cool. And I go back and forth with him. I'm sure you know him on, you see him on LinkedIn or whatever. Yeah, yeah, great so, content, great content. Yeah, 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 yeah. So super, super good uh, good guy and great content. So so basically the common, um, the common idea around RSUs is that they're a huge tax burden if you gift RSUs to your employees. Now that that's going to be my question because that, like, looking at it on paper, that's kind of what it looks like. Because the difference, yeah, that's right. So, like, when the vesting occurs, the taxable event occurs according to right. the technical part of it. So that's like, hey, I worked right. for three years or worked for a year, and I got fifty grand's worth yeah. of equity, and now I have. So it to has pay. the same problem as the RSUs because you've got a tax. You've got a. You've got a. You've got. You have to make a payment. Basically, it's it's kind of similar to the to the RSUs. So. Uh, excuse me, to options. So the thing is, though, with equity plans, you can build them kind of how you want in a way too, right? So you can have you can have um, you can have uh, your own your own plan that's uh, you know drafted to your needs effectively. So we worked with DLA Piper, and I said, okay, what are our options here? Because what is really important to us is that we give the stock to our team. I don't want the team to have to buy the stock. And originally, the first conversation was exactly what you said. Oh, well, your team are going to have a massive taxable event. I said, well, that defeats the purpose of them not having to buy the stock. Because if you think about it, all of our team, Argentina, Brazil, uh, Peru, India, um, Thailand, so on, so on and so forth, we got uh, people in, in first world countries, but mainly third world countries, really. Incredible team. Uh, but But if we're to grant them any sort of options or RSUs with a taxable event, 
again, it becomes financially crippling and prohibitive for them to own any part of the company. So I said to DLA Piper or someone from DLA Piper uh, suggested this, that we have a second trigger inside of our equity plan. So, uh, so basically what happens is with a standard RSU agreement, you'll have the a single trigger and the single trigger is vesting term. So we have a double trigger. So we have vesting term and change of ownership or liquidity event. So IPO or a sale. So what that means is that nobody has any taxable uh, any taxable event in any situation until we all win and the company sells or goes public. What yeah. it does, yeah, it's epic. It's epic. And oh, this is the thing that we can understand. This is this I, is I one of the best. Like this is why podcasts are so amazing. That information <laughs> you just gave me is gold. Yeah, it's gold. Good, isn't it? That could it's change funny. the game. Like I'm always yeah. talking about the same thing with options. It's like you can't have a tax bill here and here and here. Yeah. You've got to have the tax bill yeah. when you get the money for the exit. Yeah, like, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's like a negative no one, impact on your life. You yeah. got to earn it, and then you got to put your own hard-earned money into an ultra-high yeah. risk company. First of all, yeah, you might not right. even have the money. Second of all, you might have no other assets other than your options, right? And and then you got to put you know, all your risk. Whatever little it's bit of assets you've saved into a high risk company, in the yeah. chance that maybe you're going to win in the future, like that, we can't have plans written like no. that. So it's that's tough. genius what so, you did with the second trigger, man. I love that. Yeah. So, so here's the here's the negative impact. I wouldn't say it's negative impact, but here's the the things to consider on the double trigger clause is that, say, for example, <clears throat> we decide to become really really profitable and pay dividends to all stockholders at Athena, all shareholders at Athena, stockholders, shareholders, whatever, then technically our RSU holders don't hold any RSUs Mm -hmm. because they haven't had the second trigger event. Even if they've worked their ass off, they've been with us for four years, we can actually still just make the payment. And if we're to do dividends, we can do that. We can just say, hey, this is whatever. It's a gift. There's there's obviously ways that we can do it. We We can pay out a dividend, but technically if we're to pay dividends, they're not actually owners of the company that don't own the stock but who cares because at the end of the day what we're trying to do is we're trying to get an exit event we're trying to we're not trying to pay dividends with athena we're trying to eventually sell or go public in some some time in the next three to five years is most likely i might yeah i might be working at athena in 20 years i love what we do i love our team i love everything about it. i've got all the energy in the world but i do also want to get everybody a good result so yeah. there's a high likelihood at some point in three to five years that we have investors now too. Also, that's the other thing. So there's a likelihood of, of some of one of these events. So so yeah, that's what something to think about is it's technically they don't have the stock until there is that event. But that it circumvents that pain in the ass of the yeah. of the taxable event. So again, if it wasn't DLA pipe, like we went to the best law firm basically in the world to to go through this complex plan, and we paid through the nose for it. But if you can't trust DLA Piper, you can't trust anyone. So I feel really com- comfortable and confident with it. And um, yeah, that's how we did it. It was pretty pretty interesting. Well, it's the most, it's the coolest, the most unique um, ESOP, or no, not ESOP, team equity I've seen. You're doing it right. in a ton of different <laughs> countries. I've never heard of it done before. You're really aligning the, you know, the, the interests of the different stakeholders and you're right. making sure that the program isn't punitive to these great team members. That are coming on this journey with you and i i really take my hat off to you and dla for doing that i'll have to make sure i give them uh a bit of kudos as well uh, i know a few people there so yeah that's that's absolutely awesome 
Good stuff. That's a huge win for everyone that listens to this. It's going to be all over my socials. I'm going to be talking about this like forever now. So thanks so much, man. That's pretty sick. Um, this is what I'm really trying to get to at the heart of everything at Cake is like how do we create real value? Like how do we not yeah. get people stuck up in all the stupid technical errors? Um, how do we not yeah. penalize team members with with stupid short exercise periods and exercise payments and dumb stuff, tax bills that they just don't don't want to deal with? So, I understand. Good on you, man. But it's, it's really quite a meaningful thing. Yeah. You know, like it's not, it, I know that in, in Australia, in the United States and, you know, parts of Europe and, and, and the, the ecosystem that I am surrounded by today, so Latin American startup ecosystem, is as strong as Asia Pacific. But what is not as common, it's not as common for employees to think about stock, to think about equity plans and so on and so forth. So, um, so we try and do a really good job of, of educating and communicating the value and so forth. And even, even um, to today, like we don't do a phenomenal job. It's hard. It's hard. We, we always need to be on the front foot there. But the way that I look at it is, I mean, this is – a lot of things have to go right for us to have that exit event that I said a moment ago that I mentioned. But people try and buy us all the time. We'd have to also something – I don't know. I'm, I'm confident, but obviously a million things could happen in the meantime. Um, but it's – the only way to change the trajectory of, you know, meaningfully change the trajectory of 100, 200, 500 people's lives is through equity. I mean, salary is cool. We pay, we don't pay location agnostic salaries to our team. We pay much better than local rates. We have uh, great benefits and everybody has equity. So our team are super stoked and happy. Like I said, we've got 90% engagement, but we could, we could choose to have location agnostic salaries where our salaries are, you know, near to the same as the US and Australia and so forth. But that's not what I'm betting on. I'm betting on our ability to create value for our team through equity and through, you know, rolling the dice on on a on some event in the future. Mate, uh, you're better at my job than I am. This is all the stuff we talk about at Cape, mate. Honestly, like we're so empowered. Kim and I are so empowered by building wealth for our team. We totally love that ethos of like, if they win, we know we're going to win. You know, we have a big ESOP. We get in a bit of trouble with our investors about it, but we're like, hey, this is our culture. This is what we we care about. Um, And, you know, creating wealth in countries where it otherwise wouldn't exist, like getting first world equity into third world countries. And I don't like to label people, so excuse me there. But like, you know, that's just intergenerational wealth creation in you know in in a way that's really impossible um you know or very very difficult any other way so i'm i'm such a huge advocate for this stuff it's like totally the mission of cake to be doing this so i'm absolutely pumped to to meet you and hear um you know your vision and mission and how aligned we are man so this is this should be the first of many good chats between us i'm so glad we finally got to to talk in person and um we're just firing up but unfortunately i want to respect your time uh as well we're we're kind of running out of time uh i feel like we could jam on this for a little while longer but can i um let's just come back to something you said really early and something that we're also very aligned on passionate about at cake is 
you know, health, mental health, having fun, having a great life, being on, on a great journey. Um, and then, you know, the business is a part of that. Like it's it's sort of intertwined and you can't really build an amazing company and um, without an incredible team and the team need to be energized and they need to be committed and they need to be able to stay with you for the long term and not get burnt out and and all those things. And so, yeah, I'd just love to hear a little bit about how you, I mean, we've actually covered some of the aspects of that maybe we can dig into more the the health and wellness aspects of of that culture and and how you you're growing your team yeah that's interesting so our engagement has always been really high 90 percent on average our um our wellness score so we do engagement surveys every three months and we do uh wellness every six months uh we that goes back to back with um manager effectiveness survey so so our wellness scores haven't been as high i think Remote work is really good for um, for wellness overall, but we try and make sure that we minimise meetings and screen time. We try and give people as much um, as much in person time as we can. We have co working passes now. We try and promote just in general a, a healthy work life balance and, and culture. Uh, we spent a really good uh, really good period just a, a few weeks ago for um, Mental Health Week. We had a we had a, a day off where everybody had. The, the, the deal was they could have the day off. They just had to do something that they love on that particular day and they had to put it in a memories channel we have in uh, <laughs> in Slack. So, so that so was cool. really awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that was really awesome. Um, look, yeah, I think we do pretty well on the on the health and wellness. Um, it's, yeah, it's important to us, but I guess we don't have, um, we don't have a finger on the pulse like I would like with our team because we are fully remote. I've thought about getting our team whoop band. So I wear a whoop. Um, so that's obviously tracks my sleep, tracks my exercise, tracks my recovery. Um, we've spoken to the team at whoop, like the the corporate, uh, the, the B2B team at whoop. We were thinking about getting our team um, whoop bands and, mm. and so on and so forth. We haven't gone ahead and done that. Uh, but I think the team, the, the most important thing, I think, in terms of mental health and wellness at work is having a good culture. Because everybody knows the feeling that if you wake up on a Monday morning and you go, fucking man, this is going to suck, that that radiates through the rest of your week and everything that you do and your mental yeah. health. So we try and create an amazing environment where everybody feels respected, everybody feels heard. The, the most impactful thing I ever heard about culture was from a, a, a our first ever head of culture. We hired a head of culture in like a 10th, 10th hire. It was a crazy person to hire for your 10th hire, but this is, we have prioritized it since the start. Her name was Carmella. Yeah. She said, um, she said, I was talking, I was really worried about the fact that we were remote. How are we going to build culture? How we, we have to get people together. We have to have a budget for flying people to different regions to meet and so forth. And she looked me straight in the eyes and she said, Doc, culture isn't built at the water cooler. She said, culture is how you treat people. And I've just never forgotten that. So I think um, we treat people well. Um, and I think that you know that that really helps people have a good uh, mental health and a good work life balance. Well, Doc, I'm going to call you Doc now. We're mates now. <laughs> uh, look, I I'm very grateful for you joining us. I know you don't do pods, and I think I I knew this would be good. I knew you're a great dude. I'm much more convinced now. We've <laughs> shared a bit of gold for everyone, and I'm really looking forward to you know continuing on the founder journey with you. Um, you know, supporting your mission as much as I can. Such a huge fan of, of the way you're running Athena, and um, really appreciate you taking the time today to share some absolute gold. Potentially the number one nugget I've got out of my pod so far. 
Um, so yeah, good stuff, man. Appreciate it. No, like thanks for uh, thanks for having us, Jace. It was yeah overdue, and um, yeah everything that you that you said there, I echo back towards you and Kim and the team. You know, I love cake and. And it's been awesome to you know follow your journey and and um, yeah, you know build side by side in the same kind of community. I feel like we're uh, you know we only really met properly today, but I feel like we're we've been allies for for a while and and, and buddies. So hundred percent, hundred percent. Look, thanks everyone. Um, yeah, catch you next time.